0: The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales Episode 43, Fiends and Lovers, Part 2 Basil Lermont was that most revered and mysterious of creatures, the college porter. He was short in stature, but trim and always impeccably turned out, even in his simple uniform. He sported long, beautifully groomed mustaches and had bright, dark eyes like a raven. Like Isabel, his chosen name nodded to Scottish nobility, but the resemblance ended there. He was no more Scottish than Brunies were Cossacks, though he and Brunies or Brownies and Yorkshire Hobbs and Chinese Zhaojun for that matter were distant kin. When he arrived in the West, he had planned to declare his identity as Dr. Zhivago on his papers, ultimately rejecting this idea because bureaucracy often had no sense of humour. So, Being an avid foreign film buff and lover of the ballet, he took his last name from that of the tortured impresario in the red shoes and simply used the English translation of his Russian first name. That kept the saints the same, at least. Officially, he was Basil Lermont, head porter, keeper of keys and secrets. He was Vasily Lermontov, domovoi, guardian house spirit, with many centuries of experience. He had kept many great houses in Russia, the Hermitage Museum, St. Basil's Cathedral. He was no mere house elf, however. He had devoted himself to the defense and maintenance of many famous and infamous hearths in his day, and stabled the mounts of all four riders of the apocalypse more than once together, as the rather violent history of his homeland had gone. Through war, famine, pestilence, and revolution, he had kept those hearths standing. He had even told comrade Stalin to wipe his feet and lived with honor. Few could claim as much. Now he was gatekeeper to an esteemed college, an institution with over a thousand years of tradition in intellectual excellence. By comparison with some of his previous postings, he found it a cushy gig. With his blazing red hair and strategically incomprehensible accent, most of the students thought Vasily some fierce species of compact Highlander. In a land of hungover undergraduates, who generally couldn't remember door passcodes or room keys to save their lives, the man who rattled the skeleton keys was king. Knowing the immense power the odd little man held over the nation's up-and-coming best and brightest, there was an unspoken but unwavering respect for Porter Learment, though the students rarely called him that personally. Instead, the bleary-eyed scions of the old houses referred to the little man deferentially as Baza the Great, which suited Vasily just fine. Rosamond entered his warm, well-lit parlor through the window, changing into human form as she crossed the open windowsill to stand on the floor. She favoured rosy red and black as colour choices for clothing, but varied historical periods depending on mood and audience. A quick rustle and swish, and she stood before Vasily in a Regency-style gown and light silk cape which she spun up herself in honour of the visit, just because... Her hair was elaborately swept up, little ringlets framing her lovely face. Vasily had prepared good dark Russian tea with sugar in advance of her coming, and he brought out some traditional fancies he hoped she would like. He was just bringing in the tea when she arrived. He respectfully lowered his eyes during her transformation, common shape-shifting etiquette practiced around the world. "'When he looked up again, she took his breath away, "'and it was all he could do not to drop the tray. "'He set it down as steadily as he could manage, "'offered her the best seat, and asked, "'My lady, you do great honor to my humble home. "'How may I be of service?' "'Vasili, my dear, I'm going to tell you a story,' Rosamond began, "'weaving the first threads of her tale with her voice. "'It's true.' And it will end tragically unless you intervene. It's about a poor Russian peasant boy, a princess, a witch, the theft of a precious object, life, death, and true love. Are you ready? Vasily sank soundlessly into a chair opposite. Oh, by Pushkin's messy ghost, he loved stories like this. He could feel himself being wrapped up in Rosmond's web as she spun her tail. He was utterly entranced, trapped like a fly, and it didn't matter a damn. He would let himself be hanged like a condemned man on her every word and do whatever it took to bring about a happier ending. Meanwhile, Baba Yaga continued her tale, sensing that her audience wished that her mortar and pestle came with air sickness bags, as much for the nature of the content as for the ride. Too bad. Well, pigeons, or should I call you cabbage heads, she went on. I haven't sensed this much dumbfounded, sickly green silence in eons. Very gratifying, thank you. In any case, Marushka ran home and slipped into bed, pulling the covers over her head and shaking in fear all night. In the morning, she appeared tired and pale, with huge dark circles under her lovely eyes. Someone was dancing all night. Her mother set a big bowl of steaming kasha porridge down before her daughter. Marushka's heart and stomach lurched as one. Did you see where he's staying, my dear? Does your young man frequent respectable establishments, and is he a fellow of tidy and sober habits? Her mother asked. The thread broke, Mama, and I was tired from dancing. I lost his trail. I'm sorry her daughter replied. Well, you'll just have to go dancing again and see if you can learn anything more. Maybe we should invite him to dinner soon, especially if he's just here for a short time. Marushka's mother trailed off, muttering to herself about what she would cook and whether she should knit some warm gloves and a scarf for her son-in-law to be. These city boys had no sense when it came to dressing for the weather. Yes, Mother, Marushka agreed reluctantly. She prepared some food and dressed in her glad rags as would be expected of her, but she went to the dance with a heavy heart. She danced with Sergey all evening, but was much more subdued than she had previously been. At the end of the evening, Sergey walked her home. Marushka? Yes, beloved, she asked, her voice betraying her fear. Did you follow me last night? Did you see anything in the church? No, she lied. Fine, then tomorrow your father will die. Marushka ran into the house. In the morning, she and her mother found Marushka's father dead and cold. She helped her mother prepare the body, her mourning tears all the stronger for the vision of what Sergei would do to her father's corpse that evening as he was laid out in the chapel, his body devoured before he could be placed in hallowed ground with the proper rites. My dear, her mother said, you must go dancing tonight to take your mind off our sorrow. You are young and should not be so bowed down with grief. Marushka did as her mother said but she felt she could barely dance a step for trembling. Laughing, Sergey took her agitated state for suppressed passion and made jokes that the bride was over-eager for her wedding. Marushka practically prayed for death herself. So profound was her shame. At the end of the evening, she tried to go home alone, but her girlfriends rebuked her, saying that if she was going to leave her fiance in the lurch like that, One of them would surely set her cap for him. He's so lovely I could just eat him up, her friend exclaimed. The feeling might be mutual, Marushka muttered, turning away as Sergei grinned at her, holding the door open and giving her an appraising look as she passed in front of him and out into the night. He walked her home, making jokes and singing to try and coax a smile, but Marushka remained quiet. When they arrived at her house, he asked again, Did you see me at the church? No. Okay, tomorrow your mother will die. Marushka ran into the cottage in terror and sat by her mother's bedside all night. In the morning, her mother was dead. Weeping and singing psalms and hymns, Marushka washed and dressed her mother's body for burial and made the arrangements with the priest the whole village felt sorry for her losing both her parents so suddenly the best thing for her would be to pack up and move to the capital she could take a position in service eventually make new friends find someone and get married only her closest friends knew anything about sergey that evening sergey called on her directly and her friends piled in thinking that the easiest way to make her forget her troubles was to bring the party to her besides Tragic, though, recent events were, Marushka no longer had parents to object. At the end of the evening, Sergei stood at the door and saw everyone off, as if he were already the man of the house. When they were alone, he asked Marushka a third time, Did you see me in the church? No. Fine, tomorrow you will die. He leaned forward and kissed Marushka, opened the door and walked away, whistling a merry tune into the clear night. Early the next morning, Marushka went to see the old wise woman whom the whole village called Grandmother. She explained her plight, and the old woman admonished her, "'You must go to the priest, child. "'Say that if you die, not to bring your body through the door, "'but to dig the earth away around you and carry you out through the new opening.' and bury you at a crossroads marushka thanked the old woman ran to the priest and gave him her instructions in the event of her death he promised to do as she requested but blessed her and said he would say prayers to all the saints that she would have a long and happy life she bought a coffin and had it brought to her home. That afternoon she bathed, dressed in her best clothes, climbed into the coffin, composed herself, and died the second she closed her eyes. The good priest had the ground dug out around her coffin and her remains brought out through the opening. He buried her father and mother together in the churchyard and had Marushka interred at a crossroads. No sooner were the final prayers said than a beautiful flower grew on Marushka's grave. After some time, a young nobleman was riding by and saw the wondrous flower. The young man was a keen gardener and gave instructions for the flower to be carefully dug up in its soil, wrapped in damp rags, and transported home. Once there, it could be transferred to a large pot and then maybe into the garden if it survived the transition. The flower flourished and was a marvel of beautiful color and fragrance. One evening, one of the servants was taking a stroll in the gardens after his shift, and he saw a beam of starlight fall on the center of the flower, which had closed after the sun went down, as it usually did. The servant watched as the petals opened, and a beautiful girl stepped out, growing to her full height. He watched as she entered the house, found food and drink, and then strolled and danced in the garden, stepping back into the flower before sunrise and becoming the lovely bloom once more. The servant told his lord of this marvel, and they agreed to watch together that night, if it was clear enough for a moon. The weather was fine, and the young lord lost his heart to the enchanting maiden. In the morning, he told his parents, I found the woman I will marry. His parents were delighted, and that evening when Marushka transformed from the flower, the lordling was waiting in the garden on bended knee, his eager parents looking on indulgently from a covered pavilion. Most beautiful flower among maidens, he said, will you marry me? If we can marry in this garden, and you promise I need not go to church for four years... I will marry you, Marushka said. Despite her rather unorthodox requests, the young lord and his family were overjoyed, and the couple were soon wed. Marushka bore a son the following year, and their happiness was complete. One evening, the lord was playing cards with his fellows, and they started weighing the relative merits of their wives and sweethearts. This one was lovelier than that one, and so on. "'Yes, but none can hold a candle to my Marushka, you must admit,' "'the happy bridegroom pronounced, winning his hand as he spoke. "'Beautiful, yes, stunning, in fact,' admitted one of his opponents, "'but godless.' "'Why do you say such things about my wife?' their host demanded. "'Because she never goes to church.' "'The young lord was furious. "'He threw his cards down and stormed into his wife's chamber.' Get dressed, he commanded. I won't have people saying my wife is a heathen. We're going to evening service right now. Marushka dressed and accompanied her husband to church. He entered ahead of her and saw nothing amiss. When Marushka entered, however, Sergey was lounging on a low, deep window ledge near the prayer candles. Long time no see, darling. Did you see me at church that night long ago when we were courting? No. The fiend sighed. You never learn, do you? Tomorrow your husband and your son will die. Sergei vanished. In the morning, Marushka's husband and son were dead side by side, the little boy having crawled into their bed seeking comfort from a bad dream. Marushka ran to the wise woman who gave her two vials of water, this is holy water, dear, and this is the water of life. Anoint them with holy water first, and then the water of life, and they will be restored to you and will be safe from the fiend's curse. And here is a second vial of holy water. Answer truthfully about what you saw when next you see Sergei, and then throw this in his face. Marushka went home and restored her family to life. Then she explained to her husband that she would attend church that evening. She had some unfinished business. When it came time for the service, Marushka entered the church, dressed like a bride on her wedding day, or a queen in procession. Sergey greeted her with a low whistle. You've seen sense, I see, ditching that husband of yours. Well done, but what did you see in the church that night? You, Marushka answered, what was I doing? Eating a corpse, she shouted, throwing the holy water in Sergei's face. Sergei turned to dust and ashes and swirled about her in a shrieking cloud like some unholy embrace. When the dust settled, the old wise woman stood before Marushka, except her youth and beauty were restored. Sergey formed out of the dust, too, looking a little windswept, but none the worse for wear. Marushka looked down at herself. Her skin was wrinkled, her hair was gray, and she was stooped over. Her fine clothes had been replaced by shapeless rags. Thanks, little pigeon, the wise woman said. He's the very devil for chasing skirts, but you got him back for me. And you will take my place, Marushka, doling out potions and spells, charms and advice until you find a maiden as pure-hearted and as stupid as you, if that's possible. Sergei and the enchantress disappeared, laughing. Marushka tried to explain her transformation to her family, but her little son screamed and hid his face in his father's coat while the stricken bridegroom chased her off. Marushka fled into the woods to practice her witchcraft, magic her only solace now. In time, she gathered power and knowledge and began to contemplate her sweet revenge. One day, a lovely girl wandered into her woods, lost and looking for a way home. The Decameron shuffled, one of clubs. Don't have a hissy fit, Snake Princess, but you're next, Baba Yaga cackled and logged out. As before, the company found themselves back at the starting glass. What do I do now, Isabel asked, unnerved. We'll all get through this, Lucas promised, projecting a confidence he couldn't claim. Back in the lab. Rosamond had returned and caught the last of the story and the next draw. That was it. Time to fight back. She opened the cage and Isabel turned just in time to see the spider push the crystal egg out. It wobbled purposefully, gathering force if not speed. Time took a deep breath. The egg rolled towards the edge and fell. Before Isabel could race to catch it, every fossil and bone fragment in the lab flew off shelves and out of labeled drawers as if in a suspended cloud, swirling inexorably toward the point of impact, like a dragon coiling its tail around itself, ready to attack. Isabel, Lucas and Jack queried almost simultaneously, what's happening? The Decameron, A Year of Otherworldly Tales, is an original work by Shauna Kosar, all rights reserved. Shauna gratefully acknowledges that she lives and works in a beautiful, storied place, the ancestral lands of the Snamuk First Nation, and that she crafts her tales thanks to the support of the Canada Council.